Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Molly Bailey, who is VP International at TransPlace. And today we're going to talk about international supply chain trends and challenges. So here we are, you know, uh, a little past the halfway mark of 2022, and we're still dealing with a lot of risks and uncertainty in the world of supply chain management. And if you're an importer or exporter, you know, moving goods via ocean uh, carriers and ocean ports around the world. Well, I think it's safe to say that every day is still a new adventure for you. So what international challenges are companies facing today? Um, which trends should companies keep an eye on? And what actions should companies take to mitigate, mitigate some of these risks? And how can their 3PL partners help? Well, those are the main questions we're going to discuss in today's episode. It's great to have Molly back in the program to share her insights and advice on this topic. So Molly, welcome to the program. Thanks, Adrian. Great to be on again and look forward to the discussion. Yeah. So I think, you know, the last time we spoke was, you know, last year, um, you know, I don't think it has even been a, a year yet since you were last in the program, but, you know, certainly a lot was going on, particularly, I think the last episode we focused particularly on the ocean industry, what was going on with rates, which were, you know, ballooning at the time and everything else. Uh, I, I think, you know, the environment is, is different today, but there's still a mix of, you know, challenges and everything else. So why, why don't we start there? I mean, obviously, in your role at TransPlace, I mean, you keep a pulse on many international trends and, and challenges. So which ones are you kind of keeping an eye on, you know, today that companies should also keep an eye on? I, I think the, you know, the, the most concerning one is just overall the infrastructure in North America the situation hasn't improved. And, and in some cases, I, I think it's actually worsened. So we're two, two years and, you know, coming up on six months since COVID started. And, you know, we, we saw really this, this just kind of breakdown of the system overall with the congestion, with the vessel queues. And, you know, it came, it, it, it very obviously everything kind of floated to light about, gosh, you know, these handoffs that happen with infrastructure when the containers are, you know, getting, you know, first it starts with the vessel queues and they did some adjustments to that. And then when the container discharges, the handoffs to the rail or the efficiency, the throughput of containers coming in or the ports of the container yards. And so it, it, you know, the situation is ugly. And I think there was a lot of, um, focus and hope that things would get, you know, would improve, especially during, you know, the slower time of the year in the spring. And in fact, you know, the, 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 the time that containers are dwelling, especially in Southern California has, has worsened and vessel queues and um, dislocation of equipment and the rail network are just a huge, huge problem, frankly. And so, um, I think that to, to me, that is kind of the flashing red light of, you know, as much time as um, the current administration has, has spent, you know, focusing resources, talking about various um, proposals, the new Shipping Reform Act. Um, it's all great and it's all words that I don't think as, as shippers and, and inter intermediaries, we're seeing real, you know, accomplishments in that area. Yeah, no, I think, you, you know, I think what COVID did and the, the ripple effects of, of the pandemic did was really, you know, put a big bright spotlight 
on the fact that our infrastructure and particularly on the ocean side and intermodal and, and all that has been broken for a long time. And I, I think the, the challenging part is that there's no quick fix. <laughs> you know, this is something that should have been, been addressed many years ago, and it should have been something that's been, uh, you know, an ongoing, you know, investments and improvements and innovations. But, uh, you, you know, now, hopefully, you know, the, the, the hope is that, um, that we start actually walking the talk on the need to, you know, make these improvements to, to the infrastructure. And then, of course, today you have the, you know, the added uncertainty of, you know, what's happening on the labor front, right, with uh, the, the, on the West Coast ports with between the labor unions and the, uh, the port operators. And then you've got this whole AB5 thing in California going on that's adding, you know, so, you know, it's just this, you know, piling on top of, you know, the existing challenges that you talked about, you know, some of these more, uh, you know, immediate things that, that um, uh, companies have to deal with. Um, so, so what are you hearing from your customers? I mean, you, you know, when you talk to them, I mean, what are, what are some of the, the, the top challenges that they're facing today, perhaps, you know, being caused by some of these, uh, the things you just, you know, talked about? I, I, I get the sense that I think there's a bit of executive fatigue of hearing about the same issues over and over. And it's like, really, guys, we're, you know, 24 months plus into this. How can you still be saying that, you know, transit times are double? And inventory carrying costs are outrageous because it, you know, takes 60 days to get product from Asia into the U.S. versus, you know, normally would be less than 30. So I think shippers are having a hard time figuring out how to convince and continue to ensure that corporate leadership understands that things still really are broken. Um, you know, I think on the positive side, people are are, are, you know, very happy that we are starting to see some deflation in regards to specifically for the Trans-Pacific, not Transatlantic, but we are starting to see some, some rate compression, um, you know, and, and I don't think we're going to see, you know, $20,000 East Coast container rates this peak, um, but, but it, they're still, you know, we, we've seen efficiencies on the domestic side, you know, with carrier acceptance and, and, and routing, um, just overall improvement in, in um, the routing uh, guides for, for carriers. On the international side, I, I, we have not seen any operational efficiency. And I think, you know, that's, that's the big challenge of, you know, it's, it's, it's still much more expensive than it was pre-COVID it's still, you're having to build in, you know, just tremendous um, uh, lead time and the flexibility to, to continue to use like multi-port um, entry gateways to, to enter. And every trade kind of has its particular nuances, which I think is also challenging to, to communicate, you know, to leadership and to customers overall. And so it's, 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 it, I think there's just this, overwhelming fatigue and frustration. And, you know, there, there's been lots of articles talking about how much turnover there's been with uh, supply chain leadership. And, and so, you know, I think, it, unfortunately for some people, leadership doesn't want to listen to it anymore. So they just, all right, let's get a new person in here and let them, let them be the bearer of bad news. So, um, so interesting times to say the least, as always. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that, that, you pick up a great point. I mean, I think that's been one of the things I've been hearing a lot from 
you know, supply chain executives is, you know, the importance and the need to continuously keep educating, um, you know, senior management about what is happening in the world of supply chain and logistics, and particularly on the international front, because um, you're right. I mean, I think historically, you know, for ex executives, it's like, okay, it's a, you know, there's a problem, let's get resources in place, let's, let's solve this thing. But as we've already talked about, you know, some of these things are not something that you can solve, you know, by just throwing money at it, or you know, in the short term and throwing people at it in the short term. I mean, these are, you know, structural challenges and, and beyond the control of any one company or even one, any one country, because, you know, we've seen, you know, there's still the, the ongoing risk of, you know, China shutting down ports because if, whenever they have another COVID, you know, uh, flare up and so forth. So these are things that are, you know, to your point, uh, are, are on ongoing. So the importance of communication, I think, is uh, of ongoing communication is key. And the recognition that, you know, that there's a lot that you can't control or do um, um, that's kind of beyond your control. But obviously, there's things that you can do. And, and you, you alluded to some of those things. And we'll, we'll get back to that question in terms of what actions companies can take. But I, I want to get to something you, you mentioned um, a, a briefly a little bit earlier, and, and that's some of the things that the current Biden administration has been uh, doing, um, you know, and they've made improving the global supply chain kind of a tie priority over the past, you know, you know few months and, and year. And, you know, the examples being the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, and then the U.S. Department of Transportation's Freight Logistics Optimization or Flow uh, Initiative are a couple of examples. Um, I mean, first of all, I mean, what, what are these initiatives and, and are, are they helping? Are they enough? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, so so in regards to the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, I mean that just got signed June 16th, right? So so I I am excited about certain aspects of that legislation. However, you know, it, it it was a law that kind of has a lot of TBDs in it, right? Like there's still a bunch of framework that has to be built out. And so the FMC has certain deadlines of, you know, they had 45 days from the 16th to um, set up a framework for more um, easily being able to submit um, uh, claims or inve request investigations into carriers' activities in regards to uh, detention and demurrage. Um, there's longer-term goals, of course, um, as well. Um, you know, there's the so so. I am super excited about the detention and demurrage piece in that legislation because it's it is a problem. Um, you know, five U.S. ports are the most expensive in, in the globe, in the top 60 global ports. Five U.S. ports um, charge the most uh, detention and demurrage of, of any ports, and they're all in the U.S., and that's, that's, that's a, a pretty sad statistic to, to have assigned to our, 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 our global infrastructure. Um, so I, I think, you know, the 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 ability to more formally enforce um, fair practices in that regard is huge and important. And um, I, I, I do think that the carriers needed some oversight in that regard because it, it just it was very random. And, you know, the biggest one of the huge pain points is it can be six, nine months later. And then all of a sudden this random detention demerge invoice will show up. And, you know, you've already got people that have finished their budget years and, you know, then they're scrambling. How can this be? And the carriers have never really had to justify the charges. And, and so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I think some of the more challenging things like, you know, there's a lot of language concerning, 
um, prioritization of export cargo, which I do think is very important. And I, you know, we've seen absolute examples of carriers, you know, just not accepting exports because they want to prioritize getting empties to somewhere else. So um, I'm not clear exactly how the FMC is going to enforce that. Um, so, you know, I did hear um, there's some other legislation that that um, some I think there were representatives that, that you know were trying to put in um, prioritizing like if carriers are willing to accept a certain amount of export cargo then they would get birthing priority which is certainly a unique um, consideration and, and something to be considered um, so I, I think there's just a lot of things that now have a, you know, are mentioned in that bill, but we've got to wait until we practically see how quickly, you know, if somebody brings a claim to uh, the FMC, hopefully they're not going to have to wait 18 months to get a, to get some type of result from it. Right. And so those are the things that I'm, I'm kind of wondering how all this is going to work. I mean, you know, you and I both know the government usually doesn't act very quickly on things. And so um, I think, uh, you know, I, hopefully this won't become administratively burdensome as, you know, it, it'll be, it, it's already great to see people successfully winning these claims against the carriers, um, but that's just, I think, going to have a pile on effect, right? So the queue is going to grow and how, are, how is the FMC going to work through that? Um, in regards to flow, I, I, I haven't really, you know, that's interesting because I, I haven't seen much concrete results coming out of that. I mean, you know, there's, you know, the rail network in the U.S. is broken, that's for sure. And, and, and you know, it's causing major, major impacts to the, the time that the containers are dwelling and, and being able to get on the rail and move to inland locations. Um, you know, the, the government, the administration um, is now very involved in labor negotiations with the, with the rail companies and, and, you know, trying to come up with a better way to, you know, work with the ocean carriers, work with port terminals to have some type of more scheduled metering ability so that there's just not this huge bottleneck of, of containers discharging at ports and then just sitting because one rail carrier puts in an embargo to certain locations or you know they simply throw up their hands and say, hey, we don't have enough staff, we're doing the best we can. Like to me, that that isn't an acceptable answer at this point. Yeah, so I mean, again, go goes back to what we said before. I mean, none of this is going to be solved, you know, overnight. Um, you know, there's still a lot of you know question marks related to to a lot of these things. I think the positive, as you said, is that it's it's at least identifying some of the issues, the key issues that are that are existing out there, and at least getting the ball rolling on trying to bring the different parties, the different stakeholders together to say, hey, you know, we, we've got a problem here. We, we better start acting together, working together to kind of, you know, figure this out. Um, but again, like like all these things, you know, there, there's a talk and then there's walking the talk. And I think that's yeah. that still remains to be seen in terms of, uh, you know, what actual what actual action takes place and, and then what what the uh, outcomes are uh, ultimately. But I, but I think overall, I think it, it is to your point. Uh, I think it's a, it's a positive development that at least you know, supply chain logistics and, and this part of the uh, the overall economy is getting a, uh, a a stronger look, you know, from 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 the government. And, and hopefully, um, again, I'm, I don't believe that uh, the government is a silver bullet for just about anything, but certainly they can be a, uh, you know, a catalyst 
you know, when when uh, uh, when they apply their uh, focus uh, appropriately, and, and I think that's that that could be the case here. So, you know, in light of everything that we, we've talked about, let, let's get now, you know, talking about what actions can you know shippers take to to mitigate some of these risks, you know, to navigate through some of these challenges, you know, and and you know, how can three PL partners like you know Transplace help? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I, I think in regards to to the shipper community, you know, it, 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 it's a lot of the same that that they've they've been doing. So overall, you make sure you've got longer lead times, you know, especially out of Europe right now, because that that Europe is a is a mess. I think their their terminals may be more congested than ours. Um, they're having huge uh, labor challenges, dock workers are striking and driver shortages. A lot of, of drivers in Europe were Ukrainians and obviously they're focused on, on uh, fighting a war. So um, so extending lead times, right? As, as much as you can using uh, smaller tier ports, you know, kind of the tier two, the Baltimore's and the Jacksonville's and the Wilmington's. Um, on the West Coast, unfortunately, not a lot of great options. I mean, there's the Port of Portland, um, that MSD and SM, SM line are going into, but there there aren't the options that we have like in the Gulf using Mobile and New Orleans. Um, you know, it's it it, it 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 is. You know, I I know there were some shippers that were using the the Trans Siberian route from Asia uh, through Russia to Europe, and that obviously has been cut off um, due to due to the war. Um, so. You know, just continuing to to partner with you know you for the big shippers um, for the for the customers that the carriers haven't fired yet. <laughs> um, um, you know, continuing to to hold and and have really positive relationships and meet your forecasting, meet your allocations, and hold the carrier responsible for for their you know their contractual obligations as well. And and then you know have play the 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 NVO market and you know right now the spot rates lower than than some of the long term contractual rates that were agreed upon in the spring and so you know use that as an opportunity I, I have heard from customers that you know for for certain ports um, carriers have been reaching out this year kind of you know more targeted hey we we are looking for space out of you know, whatever port Xiamen or, or, you know, Guangzhou or whatever the port may be. Um, so, so carriers seem to be more actively looking for partnerships where they have, you know, deficits on, on volume. Um, but, you know, it, it, the, the carrier relationships are still, I think, very, very difficult and, and just in a lot of ways don't make sense. And I, I don't, I don't really understand the carrier's methodology at this point. I, I think they've kind of lost their way in regards to customer relationships and, you know, what, who, who do they want to partner with? You know, what, what is that kind of level where they want you to push you to the spot? And then what's the level where, oh, we do want to have long-term contractual, you know, ongoing um, relationships. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those are all great, you know, great suggestions. And, you know, I, I always say that, you know, particularly when you're navigating through uncertainty and risk, you know, there's nothing more important than having strong partnerships, whether it's with your suppliers, with your customers, 
Um, so it's a little bit uh, discouraging to, to, <laughs> to hear that on the ocean carrier front, um, you know, that, that uh, that's still not, uh, there's some challenges there in terms of creating or maintaining some of those, uh, you know, some of those partnerships. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's really keeping a pulse on what's happening in the market because it is changing. Uh, and then being able to then communicate that up to senior management uh, and other stakeholders that, you know, I'm trying to understand the, the you know, the, the lay of the land um, and understanding that the, uh, there is no such thing as the status quo anymore. Right. So you have to be creative. You have to be, um, you know, be, be willing to be flexible and nimble because, um, you know, what your game plan six months ago or maybe even three months ago may not be any good anymore because of whatever new disruption or situation, you know, comes up. So you need to kind of continuously adopt your, your game plan. So I, yeah, I think in kind of terms of like, you know, sports, you know, methodology, it's almost like halftime every, every week, right. You have to kind of get back into the locker room and say, okay, what adjustments do we need to make in light of X? Right. And then you go out there and that works for a little while, but then it's not working anymore. So you have to go back into the locker room and say, okay, now what adjustments do we need to make now to, you know, to continue to, you know, try to win this game, if you will. Um, yeah, and I, I did, I apologize, Adrian, because I did fail to answer the second part of your question. So, you know, in regards to how we're trying to support, you know, our, our customers very much, you know, it, it, it is, there is a lot of information to come through on a daily basis and keep abreast of what's happening. And so, we really, you know, our organization looks at, 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 at that as very much one of our priorities. So making sure our customers know what's happening with OSRA, know what's going on with the ILWU negotiation and, and AB5 in California and, you know, the global things that are happening in Europe and, and, and Australia has been, been, you know, tremendously challenging to import and export from. So, so ensuring that we're keeping uh, people informed. And then again, it all comes down to the data, right? You know, so having good um, overall visibility to, you know, their, their uh, freight movements and, and, and then what does the data surrounding the moving freight what what types of insights can be gleaned from from those and and um, you know talking to customers and you know like you're on time you know overall schedule reliability is terrible but guess what there's not a lot you can do to change that and at minimum we can provide you know peer comparison data to show here's where you are and here's where five other peers in your industry are and you know if, if, if there's um, any any comfort in, in being part of the, <laughs> the overall, you know, average, you're there, you know, so it's not something that, you know, it, you're just being picked on by, by, by bad uh, transit times and, and uh, things getting stuck at, at ports that can't, can't get delivered. You know, all, all great points. I mean, I think, you know, back, back in the early days when I started as an industry analyst, I think a lot of companies just, when they thought of their 3PL partners, I mean, it was purely for just transactional, right? Or execution, yeah. right? It, it's about, hey, help me get move something from point A to point B. And obviously that's still part of the overall, uh, you know, value proposition, but more and more today, uh, and certainly in recent years, it has been to, hey, access to experts such as yourselves and the, 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 the human intelligence, the, the industry knowledge and expertise that uh, you can bring to the table in terms of understanding what's happening in different geographies and different ports of the world, for example. 
And then the other aspect of it is a source of market data and intelligence for benchmarking and, and the like. And I think those are the things that are really, you know, rising to the top today for a lot of shippers is, hey, you know what, we, we can't gather this data ourselves, or we, we only know what we do, right? But we want to have that broader perspective, that broader data so that we can benchmark ourselves with, or just have that broader uh, understanding of what's happening in the market. And then, you know, if you can serve it as, as an extension of their staff in terms of bringing that international trade and global logistics expertise to their staff, I mean, that's the other, you know, key thing because, you know, folks like yourselves and your, and your colleagues there, um, you know, not, you can't hire, uh, you know, there are, there are only so many of you out there and not if everyone, every company tries to hire them, there won't be any, anyone left to hire. Right. So, you know, it's, a, it's, a, you know, your source of knowledge and, and, uh, uh, expertise that, that they can tap into. So as a way, as a way to wrap up, uh, you know, Molly, I mean, when it comes to global supply chains, I mean, what's the, you know, going back to what we already kind of talked a little bit about, I mean, what's the supply chain professionals be communicating to their CEOs and CFOs in, in terms of what to expect, you know, for the rest of uh, 2022? I, you know, if I, if I take out my magic eight ball, I, I think, um, I don't think that things are going to be as unpredictable as it was in the fall of 2021, right? We, one, we know what the problems are. We know that, you know, there is major, um, it all comes down to the handoffs, right? So when the container, when the vessel bumps against the port, when the container lands on the pier, and then whether it's getting trapped or railed, there are delays and problems with each of those handoffs. And that is well known and, and well communicated. So unfortunately, it's, it's kind of like when you're, you know, want to buy tickets to a really hot concert, you know, you're probably going to have to get in there. And, and uh, well, in the old days, when I was in school, we'd go stand in line and camp out overnight, because we knew what to expect. So, so, um, you know, the, the, the supply chain professionals know what to expect. I think it's going to be a more, you know, kind of a, a, a very, um, stable, slow peak. Um, we're kind of seeing it now where, good numbers, but nothing like cliff jumping numbers coming out of out of Asia in regards to, oh my gosh, there's a swall of freight because Shanghai was shut down for, you know, six weeks, eight weeks. Um, so, so I, and obviously there, you know, there, there were behaviors done by some, some major companies that clearly they were concerned. They advanced a lot of inventory and, you know, they've been very open Walmart's targets of the world of gosh, we, we brought in too much, you know, we brought it in too early and it's not really maybe going to match with what people are going to want to buy for Halloween or Christmas or back to school. Um, so I, I, you know, the, the, the challenge is you can't, you know, the, the, the length of what it takes to issue a purchase order, get that product made and imported has grown. And so it, you can't pivot on a dime at this point. So I, I think it's, it's, it's knowing that it, you know, we're headed into peak, it's probably going to be more of a stable kind of uh, um, um, expected peak. And, you know, we're not going to see these crazy rate hikes week over week where, you know, you're biting your nail every Monday, like, oh my gosh, what is this going to be? Um, so hopefully that will, you know, provide a little bit of, um, calmness in regards to the, to the boardroom and supply chain budgets. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's still going to be a challenging season. And I think that, you know, we, 
we, we keep being optimistic, like in six months, this is all going to go away and we're going to go back to the old days. I don't know, you know, like it, 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 I mean, we will, there will be a new normal, but it's, it's, it's not going to be, you know, we, we've had kind of a slack season the last three or four months and we haven't seen any, any huge improvements. In fact, some areas have gotten worse. And I think, um, you know, there is some creativity I've seen in the Southeast, like, like the ports of Savannah and Charleston have, have been able to react more quickly and set up, you know, off, off port yards and, and shuttle containers more efficiently and, and, um, you know, work through their queues quicker than say Southern California or New York ports have been able to. So, so I think there is creativity and, and, um, happening with within the industry but these are not you know simple problems to solve these, these are big deal problems that are going to take really a lot of combined joint efforts to 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 you know to really make us as efficient as, as the rest of the the ports in the globe well uh, great great points uh, you know so i mean what i'm hearing is you know we're probably not going to have like a tidal wave of uh, challenges like like it was you know, last fall, but, you know, choppy waters remain and it's going to be, you know, you, you still have to remain creative and, and, uh, you know, remain informed uh, about what's happening, you know, to continue to, you know, navigate to whatever the new normal is whenever it arrives, but uh, it's still not here yet. So, uh, well, Molly, you know, as always, uh, you, you provided some great insights and advice on, on this topic and I'm sure that then, you know, we'll have you back on the program, uh, you know, down the road and see where we are, you know, in a, a few months time, uh, particularly after the holiday season and, and see what the, um, you know, what the outlook for 2023 is. But again, thank you for making the time to be with us today. Thank you, Adrian. I always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Transplace uh, website or on Talking Logistics, and you have a question or a comment for Molly, you can post it there. And I'm sure she'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.